I move this stuff? All right, if you would, turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the, uh, the first book in the New Testament. And we've been, going through, uh, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer because we've been praying together on, uh, on Wednesday nights, or we will be praying together on Wednesday nights in June. We prayed last week. We'll be praying again uh, this Wednesday night. It'll start at the same time, uh, at 7 o'clock, and I believe we'll probably meet over in, over in the fellowship hall. So, um, but as we have been praying, kind of at this beginning of a new era for Grace Fellowship, I thought it was a good idea that we would learn how to pray. Uh, and Jesus actually tells us how to pray. He says exactly that here in Matthew 6. He says, pray like this. This is how you should pray. And so that's what we're looking at. We saw the first, in the first sermon, we saw how not to pray, right? That there actually are such a thing as, as bad prayers. There's a way not to pray. Uh, and that's in Matthew 6, 5, let's see. Yeah, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And then last week, we looked at the first part of, of verse 9, and we learned how to approach God, right? And, and what I said was, right, how you, if you're going to land the plane, how you approach the runway makes all the difference. If you approach the runway uh, in the wrong way, then your landing will not be very pretty, right? So how you approach makes all the difference in landing a plane, and how you approach God makes all the difference in your prayers. And what we learn from Jesus is that we actually get to call God our Father. Uh, and we learn from our confession question today that that's really what it means. When we pray in Christ's name, that's not like a, that's not like a magic phrase we just tack on at the end of prayers to give it an attaboy, right? Uh, but when we pray in Christ's name, what we're saying is we actually come not in ourselves. Like, I don't, I don't get to enter the throne room on my own credentials, right? I don't get to walk into the throne room of heaven. If I'm going to walk into the throne room of heaven and ask the king something, I've got to come in the name of the Son. And because I come in the name of the Son, then I get to call the God of heaven and earth my Father. Right? We come, so we, when we come in Christ's name, we come to God as our Father, and we know that He hears us and that He loves us. And so today, uh, we're going to finish out verse 9, but what we're going to do is we're going to read the whole prayer and then focus on, uh, focus on the second part of verse 9, hallowed be your name. And so let's, uh, let's read God's word and then pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. God, as we consider again your word, Lord, we ask that you would teach us how to pray. Change, uh, change our lives, change our prayers, change the ways that we think about you, Lord, reveal your glory to us. But, Lord, would you be pleased to bless this sermon, that it, would, that it would glorify you and that it would help us to understand how to pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I had, a, I had a friend in college. His name was Alan, and he was a, he was a baseball player. 
And he was like, he, he always had like these one-liners that he would just whip out of his pocket. He was like this motivational speaker. So it, like if you, were, if you were wrestling with something or trying to figure something out, Alan always had a quick little one-liner that he could whip out that would, uh, you know, these little, these little nuggets of wisdom. And I remember one time Alan said, and this is where the whole baseball player thing comes in. He, sa- he said, you play for the name on the front of your jersey and not the name on the back. And you understand, you understand what he means by that, right? Like that in most sports, if you look at a jersey, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, usually the name on the front of the jersey is the team's name, right? So either it's the school or it's the team you play for. And then the name on the back of the jersey is your own name, right? And so what Alan was saying was you play for the team. You don't play for yourself. And what we find here when we come to this phrase, hallowed be your name, that Jesus is, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that really the aim of every Christian, uh, or, or really the Christian's every aim, is to glorify the name. Right? In a sense, we live and pray for the name on the front of the jersey and not the name on the back. That God's glory is really to be uttermost in our thoughts and in our lives and in our deeds. And so uh, that's, the, that's the impetus behind this prayer but we kind of need to break it down, right? We're going to, let's, let's take this word hallow. I'm going to move this down so I stop spitting in it. Let's take this word hallow, right? Not really a word we use a whole lot. Um, in fact, I don't, couldn't tell you the last time I used this word at all. So it's not really a word much for, for modern English. But what it is, it's the word holy. And you may be familiar with that word. It's the word holy, but it's a verb means it's an action word. And so if we had a word that meant like holify, right, that would, be, that would be like the verb form of holy. So what that word hallow means really is to set something apart or to give it the honor that, that really belongs to it. That's what, that's what the word hallow means, okay? Um, when this word is used in the Bible and it refers to things like the temple or to sacrifices, or when it refers to people. The word, we, the word is translated sanctify. Okay? That word sanctify means to set apart for a special use. Right? So that if I'm going to sanctify this guitar, not that I have really the power to do that, but uh, if I'm going to sanctify this guitar, right, I'm setting it apart for a special use. And in the Bible, that's God's own purpose. Right? And so what we see like in the New Testament is God's people, the church, are all set apart. They are, they are made holy. They are being made holy for God's glory. So a couple of illustrations that may help, help you think through this. Uh, this is what we do with certain days in the calendar year. And so in, uh, in, in my life, June 2nd is a set-apart day, right? It is a... It is a sanctified day. I hallow that day because that is my anniversary. And we know what happens if I don't hallow that day, right? Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's your birthday. Maybe it's your mom's birthday or mother's day, whatever it may be. But, right, we take otherwise normal days and we hallow them. We sanctify them. We set them apart for a special purpose, right? Um, or... Think, you can think of it this way, 
Maybe in your house there are special rooms set apart for a specific purpose. So if you're a tool guy, which I'm not, um, maybe it's your workshop, right? It's like the place that you go that you can work on your stuff and, you know, like the kids aren't allowed in there because they'll dig holes with your screwdrivers and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, in, in my house growing up, my dad was a Disney fanatic. And, and every, every room in our house had a little bit of Disney memorabilia in it, but there was one room, the study, that was the Disney room, right? And so, you know, when Dad would spend gobs of money to get some obscure piece of Disney memorabilia, right, it would go in that room. That room was set apart for that purpose. So you get the idea of what we mean when we say to hallow something, right? To hallow something means to give it special honor or to revere it. Um, to give glory where glory is due, all right? So that's the first part. Um, But then we need to talk about the name, right? Jesus says we should pray, hallowed be your name. What do we mean by the name? And what we're going to say is that in the Bible, names matter, right? Um, That they're not just markers for a person like, oh, that's Chris or that's Adam, but that that oftentimes in the Bible, when someone is given a name, that name tells you about their purpose and identity. So Jesus is called Jesus because his name means the Lord saves. That's what Jesus meant um, in Hebrew. <clears throat> or, or Abraham. Abraham is called Abraham because that name means the father of many, right? Because he is the father of many nations, all right, so you see that in the Bible, names really matter. Names go much deeper than just, than just the surface level, and that's especially true of God. Like if you, if you read through the Bible, you will find multiple names given to God, and usually it's a combination of the word God or the word um, Lord, right, combined with, some, with something about God. So God Almighty. Think for just a second, what does that name, you don't have to answer out loud, but what does that name convey to you? And I say God Almighty. It's about his power, right? And it's usually used in cases where either somebody is praying for or God is moving in power. Um, the Lord provides, right? So if you're, if you're old school, the, the, the name Jehovah might ring a bell to you, Right? So Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, right? So what you find in the Bible is that God's name stands for more, that that, that God's name actually represents him. It represents his attributes, what he does, who he is. And there's one name that God has that stands out above all the others. And it's actually a name that we don't even know how to pronounce, right? Right? and it's, and it's four characters in Hebrew, uh, and we usually write Y-H-W-H. And in old school King James, uh, that name was pronounced Jehovah. Uh, more modern, it's pronounced Yahweh. But in reality, we have no clue how to pronounce it. Because here's what, here's what the Jews did. That name carried so much weight. And in your, in your English Bibles in the Old Testament... Uh, that name is translated with, in all caps, LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps. That's God's special covenant name. 
the Jews put so much freight on that name, there was so much honor and glory, that they didn't even want to defile it by saying it. And so when they read their scriptures, even still today, when they read their scriptures and they get to the name, they say another word. They say Adonai, which is another word for Lord, right? Uh, and, and when they wrote the Old Testament, when the scribes got to that part, they didn't even feel like they could write the vowels on it. So they just left it alone, the Y-H-W-H. So we don't actually know. Like that, that name was so precious and so honorable to them that if they, they thought that if they messed with it or if they said it, that it would somehow defile the name. Now, I think they probably went a little bit overboard, but you can see the honor, uh, the gravity that they put on the name. And here's the, um, and here's the beautiful thing about the New Testament. What we find out is that Jesus is the one who bears the name, right? That uh, we see it in Revelation, and we just sang the song about it, um, and we see it in Philippians 2 where Paul says that Jesus has the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus bears that special covenant name. And so here, here's how I would probably illustrate this difference in names, but it, how they refer to the same person. I can, I can introduce myself to you several ways, Okay. I can introduce myself to you as pastor, right? And that, and that conveys truth about me, right? It conveys what I do. It conveys a little bit of who I am, how I see myself and my place in the world. And so that is an accurate name, and it speaks of my attributes, okay? Um, or I can introduce myself to you as Kevin, right? Now, if you, if you don't know me, then that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you because there's probably there's thousands of Kevins, okay? But if you know me, then all of my titles and attributes are wrapped up in that name, right? So pastor, father, husband, brother, friend, son, and any other words that may, you may associate with my name, positive or negative, right, that when I introduce myself with my personal name, well, it carries all the freight of all the other names that I could be given. And that's what, real, that's what we have in this name, Yahweh, right, this, this covenant name, that when God speaks to his dearest people, right, when he actually reveals this name, when he, when he meets Moses and he tells Moses, I want you to go save my people from slavery, and Moses is scared. And Moses starts coming up with excuses. And one of, the, one of the things he says is, well, well, who should I tell these people is coming to get them? And God says, you tell them, I am. I sent you. I am that I am, right? Uh, I have always existed and I will always exist. I am. And that name, I am, becomes God's covenant name, his first name that his people get to use. And we find in the New Testament that Jesus gets the name. Right, that his is the name above every name. <clears throat> and so, here's the point. God's name stands for God himself. Um, if you're a, this, is, this, should be, this should be famous enough, but um, 
William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. Some of you might have read that at some point in your educational history. Okay. You remember what, uh, you remember what Romeo says as he's waiting on Juliet to come out on the balcony? He says, what's in a name? Right? Would a, would a rose by any other name not smell as sweet? And, and the reason that Romeo is saying that, and you, if you've read Romeo and Juliet, you know this, um, Juliet's name is a problem because Juliet is a Capulet and Romeo is a Montague. And those two families hate each other. They are at war with one another. And so for Romeo, what Romeo would love to change Juliet's name. And so he says this sweet, sentimental, oh, what's in a name? Your name, basically what he's saying is, your name doesn't matter, right? Because I love you anyway. Spoiler alert. Um, the reason both of them die at the end of the play is because names matter. So it's sweet and sentimental for Romeo to say it, but it still cost him his life, right? And so names, names matter. And in the Bible, a name matters, and especially God's name, because it stands for all that God is and all that God does. So Jesus says we are to pray, Hallowed, let your name be hallowed, may your name be revered, as holy, to hallow the name is to give God the glory he so rightly deserves. But we've got to ask the question, why do we have to ask God to do that? Why do we have to pray that God would hallow, that God would, would set apart his own name as holy? I mean, isn't it already holy? Am I somehow, or do, do we somehow add glory uh, to God's, do we somehow add glory to God by praying this? And the answer is no. We can't add, we can't increase or decrease God's glory. The reason that we pray this, the reason that we have to ask God to glorify his own name in our lives is because we are unwilling and we are unable. Ask, ask a seven-year-old to give her mother the honor she deserves. And you will find, well, one of two things will happen. Either she will be unwilling because she's mad at Mama. Mama has said something that she does not like. And so at that moment in time, she, does not, she, she is blinded by her anger and she does not want to honor Mom. Or, more often, she's simply unable. Because at seven years old, you don't have the words and you don't have the experiences to really give your mother the glory she deserves, right? A seven-year-old can say, thank you, Mom, I love you. And, of course, good mothers and good fathers, they accept that because they understand the limits. But doesn't that phrase mean a whole lot more when you're 37 and you have children of your own? And so... Or, or look at it this way. Ask a blind man to describe the sunrise. He will, he will feel the warmth on his skin. But he cannot comprehend the cascade of colors created by the sun burning its way across the horizon and into the clouds. 
He's limited in his capacity. He cannot see it. Friends, that is our relation to the full glory of God. We are either unwilling to acknowledge it, and so we blind ourselves, or even if we want to acknowledge it, we're still limited by our sin, that we cannot fully comprehend God's glory, and so we have to ask God to do it for us. We have to ask God to do it in us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right, we see dimly now, but one day we will see fully. Our eyesight is limited this side of heaven. So we have to ask God to bring honor to his own name through us because we cannot do it well on our own. And this is what we're really asking. We are asking God to fixate our hearts on his glory. Right? Um, we are we we are not when we pray this, we are not we are not asking that God would become more glorious because he can't, right? He is the fullness of glory and it can't get, I mean, it can't get any better than him. So what we're asking for is that God would remove the blinders and that we would begin to see how beautiful and majestic and glorious and holy God is. That's what we're asking for. And that's what, and so this is what this means for our prayers. First, for you individually, when you pray... And when you come to the Lord in prayer, notice where this is positioned. This is the very first thing Jesus tells us to ask for. And so here's what I would say uh, for, for me and for you. Let's learn to focus more on God and less on ourselves. Right? That when we come to the Lord in prayer, let's acknowledge who he is first. Let's give him the praise and adoration first before we turn and focus on our own needs. We'll get there. We'll see that at the end of the prayer, but it's not the first thing Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray for God's glory in our own lives. How do you do that? Um, There's a a couple of ways, because listen, I I have to train myself to do the same thing, okay? My first go-to, right, is usually the, the quick emergency prayer that deals with the immediate need in my life. Um, so I, I have to train myself how to do this. And here, so here's what I would recommend. Go to the Psalms. You can do it from other passages of Scripture, but it's probably easiest in the Psalms. Go to the Psalms, Psalm 1, okay? And, you know, it doesn't need to be more than 15 minutes. Um, don't, don't act like you, you know, don't, uh, don't have unrealistic expectations of your prayer life at the beginning. Like you, if, uh, if, if 10 minutes is about what you've got for prayers, don't, don't think you can jump up to an hour. You're going to have to get there, all right? So go to, go to the Psalms and read Psalm 1. Read it a couple of times, right? And as you do, ask yourself the question, what is this Psalm saying about God? And then turn that around and... Pray it back to him in praise and adoration, right? Um, So the psalm says, my rock and my redeemer. Well, meditate on that. Think about that. What does it mean that God is our rock and our redeemer? And as you kind of chew on that, begin to pray those words back to God. God, I praise you that you are my rock, that you hide me, that you are my refuge, my protector, my redeemer, the one who's bought me out of my sin. 
Try that. See if that doesn't help you focus on the glory of God at the beginning of your prayers before you focus on yourself. But also this, right? This is not just a prayer that God would be honored in our own lives, but in our homes and the people that live there and in our church and everyone here. But it even goes further than that. This prayer, hallowed be your name, is really a prayer that God's name would be glorified in our community, in our county, in our state, in our nation, and across the globe. Because that's really the point of history. Right? I mean, what's at stake when Adam and Eve take the fruit and rebel against God is God's glory. They, they spurn the glory of God and say, we're going to live for ourselves. And so every moment of history from that point forward has been God working to get back the glory that he deserves. It's why Jesus came. I've got news for you. Jesus didn't simply come to save you. Jesus didn't simply come to rescue you from your sin. He came to rescue you from your sin so that your life would be lived to the praise of His glory forever. God's glory is the point. God's glory is the end game of all of history and eternity. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking that God would glorify His name in the United States, that God would glorify His name in the midst of the war with ISIS, that God would glorify His name where Christians are being persecuted in Indonesia, that God would glorify His name in every country and in every people group and in every image bearer on the planet. So when we pray this, we are praying a universal prayer that God would bring glory to Himself through all of through all of us who are meant and who are made to glorify God because God's highest glory is our greatest good. And so when we pray this, in a sense, we really are getting the benefit because when our hearts glorify God, we have all that we need. How do you get there? How do you get to the place where your every aim is to glorify the name? There's only one man who's ever done it. And every day of his life, right, Jesus would say things like, I have come not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And he would pray things like, Father, glorify your name. There's only been one man who has ever lived every breath of his life to the glory of God. And if you want... If you want to be set free from yourself, your selfishness, this desire to play for the name on the back of the jersey instead of the name on the front, if you want to learn what it means to glorify God, then you must come to Jesus. You must, you must believe in Him and be found in Him because only then will you be sanctified and only then will you be enabled to hallow the name. Let's pray. God, we give praise to your glory. 
while also realizing that our praise is so inadequate that it falls so far short of all that you deserve. And yet, even in that confession, we thank you for Jesus who comes before us, who rescues us from our selfishness and our self-absorption, and then by the Holy Spirit enables us to bring praise and glory to you. Lord, help us to hallow your name for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.